Welcome to the Beyond the Tee podcast, an in-depth look at the life of all newsmakers from coaches to players and more, told by newsmakers themselves as well as those closest to them. The Beyond the Tee podcast is hosted by VolQuest publisher Brett Hubbs and 30-year college administration veteran Carmen Tigano. Hello, everybody. Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com. Got a special project that uh, I'm happy to be a part in, and involved in coming up uh, throughout the, the next few months. Uh, it's a podcast project called Beyond the T, and uh, it takes a look at the guy, uh, former players' lives in all sports, not just football, but guys who are involved in college athletics in the University of Tennessee. Uh, it's a great project. Uh, Leonard Little, Charlie Garner, all these guys – um, you name them, we're going to be able to talk to them. And part of the reason why we're going to be able to talk to them is for a, from a college athletics veteran. And that's the co-host of this program, uh, Beyond the T, and it's Carmen Tagano. For those of you who don't know who Carmen Tagano is, Carmen Tagano is a 40-year veteran of college athletics. And, and Carmen, your career started at Virginia Tech. Um, why did you get into college athletics? You know, it just kind of happened. I, I coached for a while, Brent. I coached in high school and I coached in college and got fired. You know, most of the place were out coaching. And my uh, my wife and I decided to go to graduate school. We got fired at Austin P. Decided to go to graduate school at Virginia Tech. And I was going to go into administration, uh, like maybe student personnel, dean of students, something like that. And a job opened up at Virginia Tech. And I, I look back on that job and um, I did so many things. I was in charge of academics, eligibility, travel, on-campus recruiting, the dorm. And nowadays, they got you know 20, they have 20 people doing that. But I worked for Bill Dooley. And as a side note, I'm going to tell you this, Brent. I don't think you know many people that have worked for four Hall of Fame coaches. Bill Dooley, John Majors, Doug Dickey, and Phil Fulmer. So I've had a really what I call lucky career. And it started with Bill Dooley of Virginia Tech. And I, I learned a lot of how to do things his way, and that was that was okay because he knew how to do things. <laughs> carried on, carried on to Tennessee. I'll tell you another quick story. When my wife uh, uh, finished her doctorate at Virginia Tech, we moved her for her job, basically. And um, Bill Dooley sent a letter to, to, to um, um, uh, John Majors about me, and he called him, and John Majors returned the letter. Sent a letter to me. And I still have it, and it's dressed to Miss Ms. Carmen Tigan. the woman. <laughs> so, so, so you you knew about you knew about the state of Tennessee from your time at Austin P. But but the reason you came to Rocky Top was because of your wife's career. That that's what yeah. drew you to Tennessee, right? Exactly. And they had a fella that was doing the job I did at Virginia Tech, the smaller version of it, and he had a history with Doug Dickey that wasn't good at Colorado. Okay. And I said to my wife, I said, if you can get this job and Doug Dickey becomes the athletic director, because there were three candidates to become athletic director, Doug Dickey, Bob Markham, and Henry Lee Parker. And I, and I said, if Doug Dickey gets this job, the guy who's there is going to be out because Doug will fire him. So let's roll the dice and go. Wow. So, yeah. So we rolled the dice and um, we get, we, we get here and we're home painting the kitchen. I was like, I was like, fourth person in that office i was an associate athletic director of virginia tech i was the fourth person in the office the job that i took like 12 14 thousand dollars a year i forget what it was i got a phone call from uh 
Mike Strange. And he said, this is Carmen Gigano. I said, yeah. He said, well, listen, he said, you've been named director of academic support for the athletic department. I said, I never interviewed for the job. He said, well, <laughs> the guy left and it's your job. That's how it started. <laughs> yeah. You can ask Mike Strange that. Yeah, what a, what a crazy career um, that, that spans four decades in, in college athletics. And that, that part of the reason why I wanted to do this project with you is because of the history that you know at the University of Tennessee, the stories, uh, the behind-the-scenes thing with student-athletes, the personal, the personal stories with the student-athletes because of your involvement with them. Were, were, you, always, were you always driven to, to, to know the athlete beyond the helmet, to, so to speak, beyond the, you know, the ball cap or the uniform? But because that is how I always have associated you, Carmen, is a guy who knows, knows a student-athlete for the whole – embodiment of who they are not just them as the player you know that's a great question when i coached i was like that when i coached in high school and i coached at austin p i spent time getting to know the kids I, i'd walk with them after practice to their car to see their parents whatever find them who were i coached in downtown fort lauderdale boyd anderson miramar and dillard you've heard of those high schools oh, absolutely i coached those schools in fort lauderdale and you know, you, you have you have to understand the kid you're coaching. How far can you push them, how far you can't, but it's based on their background. And if you get to know a kid off the field, okay, then you know him better. And so when I got in to, to what I did that was off the field, you have to know the kid just the opposite, Brent. I know it's confusing, but follow me. If a great football player walked into my office with a problem, we didn't talk about football. We addressed the problem and we addressed why it was a problem. And then he would get into stuff about his family, his background, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And that's just what I've always been pretty good at getting to know a kid, you know, because once you get a kid to break down and talk to you, now, now you've, you've bridged the gap and that, you, you created a bridge. And that, that's what it's all about. All right. Last thing about you and your personal resume, because I know how much you love talking about your <laughs> your accomplishments. D did the fact that you were a coach and you had coached at the high school level and the college level, how much did that help you in this transition with the current coaches that you were working with? That you weren't you weren't you weren't an academian administrator. You were a guy who had been on their side of the fence as well. Did that help you? in kind of encircling the trust in the entire athletic department? Yeah. What you have to do is understand there's a head coach. And among a lot of things, you know, he wants to know what's best for his program. And you can't put your needs ahead of that person. It's a team effort. And by working as a coach and playing, I understood the team effort. I've seen guys in administrative roles, Brent, who thought their job was bigger than the whole department. And you, you can't do that. It's a team effort. And uh, I, I remember a quick story. When I worked for Bill Dooley one day, I got really mad at a kid, DC kid, really got mad at him. I cussed him. He cussed me. I thought he was going to attack me. And he left the office. And I went down Coach, told Coach Dooley. I said, Coach Dooley, this kid's a problem, blah, 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 blah. And Coach Dooley looked at me, Brent. He said, just in this Southern, he said, common. He said, uh, your job here is to get the most out of that young man that you can. And when he leaves campus, then we have failed. You have got to put your ego aside and understand 
you and me are here because of him. And that rung, that just resonated with me. And that, that, that changed my outlook on a lot of things. That, that one minute, that two minute meeting with Bill Dooley, I walked out and thought, thought to myself, no one's coming to this stadium to see me or Bill Dooley or any of those coaches play. They're coming to see these kids. And it's about supporting these kids the best we can. And, you know, the, 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 the motto was the model we had at University of Tennessee was until that kid got up and turned the light off, there was still hope. And, and over the span of – you mentioned, you know, your 30-plus years at Tennessee. Over that span, and even going back to Virginia Tech days, the model may be – the core of the model is the same, but, but the model has had its shifts. And what I mean by that is the money is so much different now for coaches and administrators. You mentioned the volume of people that are there. And the athletes, there's, there's an empowerment for the athlete in a way that that's that's shifted throughout the decades but it's in a great shift right now when you view kind of your entire career of where things in athletics were when you started to where they are now what are your biggest kind of takeaways from that Carmen and what do you what do you think of kind of the direction things are going in the future um, I'll tell you when I first started in this there were a lot of kids you know, I had to do the recruiting visits every, every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for the last 40 years when I was in college athletics. I had to do the recruiting visits you were well aware of. I can remember Virginia Tech kids coming in on recruiting visits. First person in their family to go to college. Came in with a mother, maybe an aunt, maybe a grandmother. Okay. And gradually, as I came to Tennessee and the years went along, you saw kids now coming in with two parents, all right? And they asked really great questions because maybe one of the two parents was educated, maybe not. And you, you could see the transition of the kids we were recruiting and they were a- asking really good questions. And now with all this NIL, I, I, think, it's, I, I think kids are going to be able to manage this better than the average person thinks. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but this NIL now has opened up doors for kids. And I think they're better equipped today to manage it than they were 30 years ago because of the home lives have changed. And it's and just, there's more education within the homes of kids today. And I, I think once this NIL hits the ground and more money's being funneled, we'll talk about that later. I, I think you're going to see, I think kids are going to be able to manage it. That's the thing. One of the things I've seen change the most is the quality of the young man who's going to college today, as opposed to forty years ago. So, is that quality not meaning necessarily that they're better people, but quality meaning they're more educated about life? They're more educated about the sort of the do's and don'ts and what they should be looking for. They're they're not caught up in the fanciest buildings, Carmen, or the, the prettiest uniforms. Is that what you mean by, by, by better quality there? Yeah. Their, their lens are a lot wider and they okay. understand their value. They have a value, Brent. These kids really, these kids that fill a hundred thousand people in a nail stadium, they have a value. They understand that value. And it's not going to be, I think a situation where it's abused. A young man comes in right now. Uh, he comes to Tennessee he has a great freshman year, and 
his position coach leaves for more money somewhere. Okay. Well, he helped that position coach get that other job because he had a great year. There's a lot of factors. I know that, but this young man now is think, thinking to himself, well, I had a wonderful year. I scored all these touches. I did this. I did that. My coach just left. Well, I have a value. Does, does that make sense or not? I don't yeah, know that... no, no, absolutely. You know, and I think for, for kids, Carmen, you know, there, there's so much information out there. They see that the, the Big Ten has just agreed to a, a, a rights fee deal that's seven and a half billion dollars for their <laughs> for their conference. And, and I think that's what's led us to the NIL world is everybody had, for years there's been talk of how do they how does a student athlete get a slice of the pie right how, how yeah. do how do they get in how do they get something in return beyond just their education now a lot of people feel like the education should be enough for them okay that 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 that's that's what they should have and and they should be thankful for that and that's their reward for for their investment You've seen all sides of that. It sounds like you're pro NIL, that, that you think that, that student athletes are deserving of what's going on right now. I can recall that Tim Irwin was there. He, he dragged me into it. I went to the law school and talked about agents. They, they, he, he had a group of lawyers, young lawyers. He was in law school, and he wanted me to come talk about agents. And I made the mistake of saying this was 1987, something like that, and it was in the journal. Randy Moore covered it. And I said something, you know, athletes should be paid beyond a scholarship for their time. And I, I listed all the amount of time that it takes to be a football player at the University of Tennessee. I went through everything all the time. And the next day, headlines. Chigano says athletes should be paid. Well, who do you think is the first person who walked in my office? And he, sat down, he sat down, Brent, and he looked at me. I'm really like, I'm just sitting. He said, again, I read your article today in the paper. I read it. Uh, where the hell do you think this money's coming from? <laughs> and I said, well, Coach, I don't know. Well, you need to think about that. But we, we can't afford to pay these guys. We're giving them a scholarship. We get them summer jobs. They're happy. I think to myself, no, they're not really. I, I never voiced a strong opinion. But if you, if you spend a day with a football player in the middle of August or the middle of September, just a day with him, you realize how hard it is. And the average person says, well, they're getting an education. Well, okay, they're getting an education. But to some of these kids, they have a, a God-given talent that maybe supersedes the degree right now. Because you see, Brent, the university isn't closing down. But that kid's knee or shoulder isn't going to last forever. So if a kid comes to the university and he says to himself, okay, I'm going to be here three years. And I'm going to make the most of these three years. I'm going to get a bit faster, bigger, stronger, and make sure I get touchers or make sure I get sacks or whatever. And I'm going to go to the league and make as much money as I can. I'll come back later and finish school. What's wrong with that? No, I mean, so, it's what, I mean, it's what's been done for forever, you know? And now you're getting kids who are going to get paid for their efforts. And I, I think, I think it's really a, a grand thing. You know, um, we, we have to be careful that we don't judge a kid making a hundred thousand dollars and what he does with that hundred thousand dollars. It's not us to judge. And I think more times than not, the kid's going to do the right thing. The toothpaste obviously is out of the tube with, with the ruling a year ago, there it's kind of the wild, wild West. Uh, you've seen 
monumental changes in college athletics. You have studied monumental changes in college athletics from scholarship limitations to no scholarship limitations to what you can and you can't do and all of these things. It is at some point one would think that there's some kind of governance to, to limit the wild, wild west field. Or do you think it's an unfair notion to describe it as the wild, wild west with where things are right now? Well, let's back up a little bit. Okay. One thing, one thing we know for sure in college athletics, Brent, we're 100% sure. I've watched it from – I remember when Len Bias unfortunately died, okay? What happened after that? Drug education testing, uh, trainers, more trainers, more, more therapists, more counselors, more testing. Uh, Prop 48 came into effect. And what happened? Bigger academic offices, more counselors, more tutors, all right? All of that to say that athletics, and Doug Dickey always said this, we're not we, it's not them, them now. It's a knee-jerk reaction. Athletics are have always been a knee-jerk entity. Something happens, we're going to take off behind it. There was an arms race in the 90s and early 2000s. School A built a building. School B built a bigger building. So school C built the biggest building. And so now we're in this NIL situation and i don't think it's going to be a wild wild west um i got a couple points here to talk about it based on my history but i, I don't think it's going to be I, I think they can it can be accomplished in a manner where they put a governance on on the amount of money that's being paid to the kids and how do you how, how do you how do you do it what's the methodology what's the formula i don't know that but there has to be a formula there has to be a methodology methodology established for kids. And, and you know, Brent, you know this better than I do. We're going to wake up in a couple of years. There's only going to be 40 schools doing this. Am I right or wrong? That's what it feels like. It feels like that's the direction, everything that, that it's going. Uh, I mean, I mean, you see, you see what the big Ten's doing and you see where the SEC is. And as Greg Sankey said earlier in or back in July, we're already a super conference. Um, you know, it, it kind of feels like that's those are the two. How many are in that conference remains to be seen, but that kind of feels like the way it's going with, you know, maybe the ACC trying to hang on there. Yeah, so there's going to be 30, 35 teams that are going to be playing for these college football playoffs and be going to bowl, going to the major bowl games. Who doesn't make the college football playoffs? So now we're going to be able to govern a little better once they get a, a football czar. You, it's, it's a term that, you know, um, I guess that, that's the word now. Once they get that guy to run the football programs. And NIL factors into this. If you don't get in the NIL game, you're not going to be one of the 40. Or you're not going to be competing ever at the top of the 40. You're always going to be 38, 39, and 40. You have to get in the NIL. And we've been lucky. I'll tell you, the University of Tennessee is pretty lucky that Spire jumped on board early on. Now, I don't know when, what year was it? Um, when the Supreme Court, you know, when you're retired, it's like six Saturdays, then they bring a fat newspaper. So I lose track of days. But, um, but um, when was it? 21 or 20 when Supreme Court voted nine to nothing? I, it was it was basically 14 months ago. Okay, so the 21. All right. So they passed it nine to nothing. And a lot of people didn't believe it was going to get passed. Oh, they'll never pass paying these athletes. Well, it was a nine to nine zero unanimous vote. That tells you something. We were lucky. The Spire Group 
got involved and spent some time understanding our athletes, current athletes, understanding what's, you know, what the big picture was. And they hit the ground running. They went out and they, they, they created their collective spire. And I'm telling you, they're an asset. And we have to somehow, as a university, as a community, as a state, understand that. You know, we were talking about mergers here, conference mergers and realignment. You know, Southern Cal and UCLA are going to the Big Ten. Southern Cal is a football power, one of the greatest powers in the history of college football. UCLA is an up-and-coming program, but they have the greatest tight end coach in the country, I might add, at UCLA. <laughs> I'm going to throw, throw that plug in there for Jeffrey Ferris. Anyway, so, but then, so they're going to the Big Ten, okay? Now, we're bringing in Texas and Oklahoma. Now, give that some thought. This is the word I want you to think about during the next few minutes. Relevance. Being relevant in college football, okay? Have we been relevant in the last 15 years? Well, I think the answer to that from a national standpoint is no. Okay. So now we're bringing in two more programs, okay? Texas and Oklahoma. National championships in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, 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 Heisman Trophy winners. Uh, now, Texas is down. I get it. All right. But these two schools are coming into the Southeastern Conference, and they're not going to shop at Dollar General. They're not coming in here to look for bargains. They're coming in here to win this conference. They're coming in here to beat the Alabamas and the Floridas and the LSUs and the Tennessees. That's why they're coming to this conference. And they've embraced NIL, have they not? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, again, you said it earlier. I mean, I think you're seeing everybody – you know, it's taken some schools longer than others, but if you want to be relevant, to borrow your word, it's it's hard to look at the landscape of college athletics and say you're going to be relevant without an NIL plan. It, it, exactly. You have to have a plan. And I'm not really sure. This is where the rubber hits the road, Brent. I'm not really sure how it's going to play out the next two or three years. Because think about this for a minute, okay? We have a university. We have an athletic department and within the athletic department, we have a development office and their job is to raise money. And they're pretty good at what they do in the past. You know, you got to remember, you go back when Doug Dickey got here, I think 10 development offers, officers left the University of Tennessee and became athletic directors. Think about it for a minute. We, we can talk about that later. OK, they, they have a really good office there. And the guy that runs us now, he's out there working hard to raise money. All right. But there's only so many dollars on the table, okay? So the athletic department wants dollars for facilities, dollars to pay coaches, dollars to pay staff. But, yeah, you have to have Jimmys and Joes. Who's going to pay the Jimmys and Joes? Where's that money going to keep coming from? I, I think that there's a support right now, pretty significant support for James Clausen and Spire. But that can't continue. There has to be other revenue streams. So somewhere along the line, either the athletic department or the university, somewhere there has to be a joint effort to, to, to combine that money or to increase that money uh, because collectives are going to need support. They're not going away. Collectives are here to stay. And James Clausen and his group can go out and raise money, but the university is trying to <clears throat> raise the same money. I think one of the things that <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I think one of the things that can happen 
I think already has happened. Uh, Spire has a website where you can donate like $25 a month or something like that. Is that right? Yes, you can, you can, you can, they have a website where you can make a, a, a monthly donation of some kind. Yeah. That has to, the public, more of the public has to understand how important that is because let, let me give you an example. All right. The biggest fear I have with NIL, biggest fear. Everyone's talking about all oh, the high school kids. No, the biggest problem is kids leaving and going to another school for a bigger NIL. Case in point, the Bolitnikoff Award winner left Pitt to go. That's the best receiver in the country. This is just a receiver. This was the best receiver in the country. Side notice, I played on the Freddie Blitnikoff field. I grew up in Erie where Freddie went to school. Okay, anyway, so they went and go, this kid left Pitt to go to Southern Cal. All right, let's just, let's just imagine we're moving along this year in the football season, and we're doing pretty well. Hendon Hooker's putting up big numbers. We're winning games, and he tweaks his ankle before Martin. And Josh says, you know, I can sit you down. We're, we got three or four games left. We've got a bowl game. You know, we're moving along pretty well. I'm going to sit you down, rest your ankle. So this kid from Indiana, what's his name? Taven Jackson. Taven Jackson comes in. He throws six touchdown passes against Martin. Rushed for 150 yards. Has a Heisman game. Okay. Well, now he has video. Now he has tape. Okay. And we're bringing in a freshman quarterback. So is this Jackson kid, what's he going to do? Transfer portal. He can go in December. Okay. So what, what do we do? We go to the collective and we come up with Jackson's pizza stop or Jackson's car sales or something like that. And we market the kid. Okay. We go to Spire to keep that kid. All right. See, we don't think transferring from school to school is an issue because we haven't lost a Blitnikoff award winner. We haven't lost that kid yet. When that happens, people understand that's the downside and you have to have a strong collective because in a world where i mean it's free it feels like it's free agency potentially every year now some kids are going to go and and roll the dice and probably end up getting burned thinking that they're probably worth more than what they're worth but that will adjust itself out right at, at some point i mean kids will figure that out correct yeah eventually they will because as i said earlier they're smarter kids but money's money okay if my nil uh, across the streets a little bigger than NIL here, I got to look at a lot of things. I, I, I got a fact that, do I like my, do I like Willie Martinez? Do I like, you know, Rodney Garner? Do I like Josh Heupel? Do I like walking into that building? The one thing that Josh, he done a lot of good things. We got a great coach over there, great person, great coach. But you know, the few times I've been over there since he's been head coach, I've noticed a different vibe. There's a great vibe in that building. And you're going to, and coach, a head coach is going to have to create that vibe that they didn't want to create before to keep kids. You're not going to be able to just run kids in the ground every day and think they're going to stay. Okay. Cause they're a little bit smarter and think to themselves, wait a minute, I don't have to put up with this. I can go somewhere else. Well, Josh Heupel has done an excellent job of creating an environment that's conducive to wanting to be here. Okay. And that's a big plus. But, you know, again, let me go back to the central question. Where's the funding going to come from? 
other than collecting down the road. There, there has to be more models. This, this monthly payment's a model. But I, I think that, you know, what did Ryan Day say? He needed $13 million at Ohio State. Yeah. He came right out and said that. And um, it's here to stay. It's just how's, it, how's the athletic department going to deal with it? One other thing I want to say, and I got a few other things here, but um, we talk about the golden era, Tennessee football in the 80s and 90s, John Majors, Phil Fulmer, Doug Dickey, Peyton Manning, all these great players we had, Al Wilson, Leonard Little, you know, Jamal Lewis, you know, that 1990 class that Chuck Smith talked about. That was the golden era of Tennessee football. You know one of the reasons why it was the golden era? One of the reasons why it was a golden era was because there was an alignment between the president, the chancellor, and Doug Dickey. They were on the same page. They put their egos aside and they solved problems collectively. Well, from what I've heard right now, we have that same thing on campus. President Boyd, sports guy, he gets it. Dante came from Nebraska. She understands it. And the athletic director is in athletics. So we have three people that are on the same page. The only thing missing the golden age for right now, Tennessee football are Jimmy's and Jones. It's the only thing missing. Everything else is in place. New facility, great leadership on campus, a good football coach. But as Skippy Brown says, if you don't have Jimmy's and Joe's, you're going home early. I can remember one day he looked over at um, Ron Zook. He said, yeah, Ron, my Jimmy's are kicking your Joe's asses too. Don't forget that. <laughs> That's what it comes down to, Jimmy's and Joe's. Well, it, it's a story as old as time. I mean, it, it, it was Jimmy's and Joe's in 1980. It was Jimmy's and Joe's in 1990. It's been Jimmy's and Joe's for 40 years, and it always will be. That, that, that's what's made college athletics survive. It's not the buildings on campus. Um, it's not no. the uniforms. It's the Jimmy's and the Joe's. That, that's what puts fans in the stands. That's what generates the money. The Big, the big Ten's not getting that money without Jimmy's and Joe's, right? Exactly. When when I came here from Virginia Tech in 1985, the facilities here were horrible. They were horrible. You know, I came. I said, myself, I'm at the University of Tennessee. Look at these facilities. But guess what? They had a hell of a lot more Jimmy's and Joe's than Virginia Tech did. <laughs> and they won that year, and they won a lot of games. And then then Doug Dickey came along as athletic director and you know supported the, the building of. They won. They had players. They knew how to get players. They, they, they were outstanding recruiters and good coaches. So, if and there's another thing too, and you know this better than I do. You're not going to win in the Southeastern Conference without depth. That's as as important as anything else on football teams. You have to have depth, and with these NILs, you can create more depth with players. But who don't want as much? They, they just want to be a part of something. Like What, what did uh, Texas Tech do? They gave every football player $25,000. Right. All right. Well, you know, ha have we done that? No. No. Well, okay, that's Texas Tech. So we have got to figure out the model that's conducive to Tennessee being relevant again. Because as I told you before, as we just said a minute ago, in the last 15 years, when have we been relevant? 07, went to the SEC championship game. 16, when Butch was here, we won the top 10, right? Beat Florida, yes, beat Georgia, beat Virginia Tech. Okay, that's two years. What else? 
It's been a long time. That's this what that's, university, yeah, that's why there's been so much turnover. Yeah. This is the University of Tennessee. It shouldn't be like that. Well, now we have a kid who's running a football program, is pretty good at what he does. Players like him, people like him. He's got a great scheme. He throws it around the yard. And he needs players. He's always as good as his players. And I think we have the perfect coach to get behind right now. Perfect coach. Nothing against Jeremy Butch, Derek, or Lane, or Phil. But right now, we have a coach where everyone can rally behind. And we have to do it. And it's going to have to come through NIL. You know? Um, that's that's from a man who's got 40 years of athletics in his blood. He's covered uh, and worked in athletics in every capacity under the sun. Um, I wanted to introduce everybody to Carmen Degano. I wanted to give his thoughts on the evolution of college athletics and also introduce you to the fact that he and I are going to do something or we're doing a project this fall that we're both extremely excited about. We're going to talk to those Jimmys and Joes that made Tennessee relevant <laughs> in all sports. Um, and we're going to talk to newsmakers in this sport that are tied to Tennessee that are some of the elite Jimmys and Joes outside of the game uh, in terms of, of players. You're going to enjoy this podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of old stories being told, updates on how guys are doing now, um, their journey through college athletics, their thoughts on NIL and where the, the growth of the game is right now. All of that in this series that we call – Beyond the T, that's going to be co-hosted by the guy you just heard, uh, the great Carmen Tagano and myself, and it's going to be a lot of fun. You'll want to check it out all fall long. That is Beyond the T. We want to thank our friends at Spire, um, who's helped us be involved in this, and obviously we've got a couple other things, Carmen, going on uh, that we're going to talk about throughout the podcast where you can help. Uh, we've also got some fundraising available for the Wounded Warrior Project that we're going to uh, unveil to you in, in the coming weeks as well. Lots of things going on with this podcast that you can get involved in, not just listening, uh, but but participating uh, in um, all things going on in the world of college athletics. That's very well put. Yeah, uh, we, we, we created some stuff that's going to help the Wounded Warrior Project, help Spire, and uh, promote, Francis, this hat right here, promote NIL because it, it's the future. There's, there's no way around it. it. It's here to stay, and we want Tennessee to be competitive. You love the program. I love the program. It was a part of my life for over almost 40 years, and we want to be competitive. So I, I appreciate you uh, allowing me to come on and doing these shows with me, Brent. I really do. I, I've had some people ask me in the past to do something like this, but I, I know I picked a really good partner when I asked you to do it. And, and during these shows, when I refer to you as Kenny, we'll give a prize to the first guy who figures out why I call you Ken. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's Carmen Tagano. This is episode one.